This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. <laughs> I ain't paying my cell phone bill, so I called for a friend and the phone said, ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> but I still went to the club on a Tuesday night, even That's though the bill wasn't paid. I had ooh, to pay ooh, my rent, but ooh, I saw ooh, I could ooh. get a bottle just for 600 so I said, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> All right, guys, we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, where Stanley on, mm, is letting mm, his mm, singing mm. voice be heard. I have a wonderful voice. He actually you can do. sing. You, I do. Just, you just do, like, parodies. Right. The last like, mess around. time I sang... A homeless person cried. Stop. He may have been high on K2, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure oh, that God. it was my voice. I said, who? And he said, <laughs> Made I him think cry. that was the reaction to the MYPD coming, not he, to you. He, oh my God! On One Twenty Fifth Street, you 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 wouldn't even know that that's like the One Twenty Fifth and Lexington and Third. Yeah, you don't even see them anymore. The police have two trucks and a camper out there, and you don't see a single. So home- where are the homeless? You know, that's how, how you treat homeless people. Instead of helping them out, you criminalize them. Well, oh, it's horrible. I wouldn't blame the MYPD for that. I'd blame the mayor for that actually, because. The mayor and the governor, because we have a serious homeless problem and a drug problem in that area in particular. And yes, there were some dangerous people there. As someone who worked in the area, I will say that. Mm. If you send the police there, the police are going to do what their job, as long as they're not like shooting on unarmed people, which they tend to do sometimes. But anyways, they're going to do what they're, they're going to do what they paid to do. The mayor and the governor should be looking for more funds so we can get these people help, which they're not doing. Mm. Yeah. Well, speaking of people that need help and usually end up in a bad predicament, you let's get them with talk the transition about. Girl. Let's talk about these child sex trafficking victims. I don't know if you guys are paying attention, but uh, last week the if the FBI released a report about their nationwide sting that was dubbed Operation Cross Country. And it led to the arrest of 150 pimps and johns and the rescue of 149 sexually exploited children. So the FBI, they worked with uh, law enforcement officials on the local level and the state level. They also worked with its organization called National Center for Missing and Exploited Children to save these victims of prostitution and uh, capture child sex traffickers. And the FBI, they announced that in 2015, this marked the ninth year of their annual sting operation. And they also netted more recoveries and arrests than any other year. So this was a very successful year for them. However, there is still so much more that needs to be done in order to protect our children from harm. So these children... um, are being treated as a commodity in either dingy hotels or on a, a dark a back alley. And they do need to be rescued, whereas the people that are capturing them and forcing them into this prostitution work um, need to be captured, jailed, prosecuted. Um, and finally, like I said, they're finally uh, capturing more of these pimps. According to the FBI... The youngest victim in this year's operation was 12 years old, while three of the 149 minors were transgender and three were males. So that means the overall majority are girls, little girls. Um, Altogether, the FBI's program, which is called the Innocence Loss Program, uh, it was first created in 2003, and it captured about 4,800 sexually exploited children to date. And they've also prosecuted and convicted over 2,000 pimps and adults involved with trafficking crimes. However, I mean... If you look at today, like in 2003, the Internet wasn't as prominent. We didn't have as many social media networks and apps, but now we do. And that makes it harder. What makes it easier for pimps to actually 
buy these children, sell these children, and enslave these children and make them sex slaves. So we have a lot to talk about, guys. And again, if you want to let your voice be heard on this crucial issue, the number is 212-650-6903. Do we have the guests on the line? Yes, we do. Okay. To help us, we have an expert on the line. His name is Gonzalo Mar- Martin. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry, guys. Keep Martinez. D. Vidia. Sorry about that. And he is a human trafficking specialist with the Worker Justice Center of New York. He is also the policy co-chair for Freedom Network USA. And as the coordinator for the Capital Region and North County Human Trafficking Task Force, Gonzalo facilitates responses to trafficking cases statewide all across New York. Plus, he trains providers and law enforcement on child trafficking identification through the New York State Safe Harbor Program. Good morning, Gonzalo. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me on. No, thank you so much for joining us on this bright and early Sunday morning. We definitely appreciate you calling in and all the work that you've been doing um, to, to really combat this silent crisis almost. It's something that we don't hear enough about. And, you know, even on our show, we've spoke about this, you know, maybe one or two times in the past, but, you know, it's not something that ever seems to be really prominent in news cycles. And it's a really, it's a really a shame. And that's why we've even called this the silent crisis. So we thank you for, you know, helping bring this issue to light with us. And I talked about these 149 sexually exploited children who were just rescued in the past week. Um, But I want to ask you, who are these children? So a lot of times, you know, from my understanding, you have these vulnerable children who are either placed in a local child welfare welfare system or they run away from home or they're they're a victim of some type of abuse or trauma and or drug addiction even. And they end up in these prostitution rings. How you how does this happen and who are these children? Yeah, absolutely. You're right on that. You know, the, the vast majority of the, the youth that were likely picked up in this latest uh, operation cross-country are already system-involved in some way. So they might be a part of the runaway and homeless youth population. They might be uh, somehow involved in the criminal justice system, the family court system already. That's going to be 70% of the youth right off the bat. Um, ultimately, this is a crime that could really affect anybody. It could be someone from a very different background, very privileged background, who is enticed online and uh, somehow recruited into this type of activity. Um, but, you know, even as we say that, we know that there are populations that are at risk more than others. So mm. when we talk about New York City in particular, we have excellent data on exactly what the youth uh, in commercial sex look like. The last time there was a comprehensive study, we came out with a number 4,000 youth at any given time in, in New York City. That, I, that was, a, you know, a, I think, a surprising number for a lot of people in the sense that it might have been more prevalent than we would have imagined. Um, that's especially a big number. If that is a big number. That, you know, that just Operation Cross Country, how many of the youth were actually picked up in New York City. It might have been a handful. Right, right. I, I think it was a handful. I know that the most rescues were done in Denver, and they rescued 20 minors. So if New York City, according to this data, has about 4,000 child sex trafficking victims and we picked up a dozen, I mean, that is a drop in the bucket. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of these. Yeah, go ahead. Speaking of these victims. So 
I, I did a little research on this a couple of years ago, probably the last time I, I we were able to get this segment on air. And I remember this, they were saying that a large portion of the people who really perpetuate this industry, at least in the States, are gangs. Is that still an issue? Are we still looking at like, sort of like the Bloods and the Crips and some of these other um, local gangs who are as the main perpetrators of this sex trafficking? Yeah, gang control is one of the types of commercial sexual exploitation of children that we look at. Um, however, you know, from the study that I mentioned for the 4,000 youth in New York City, the most surprising finding that I think a lot of law enforcement and service providers are still wrapping their heads around is that they found that of the 4,000, only 10% of the youth were being controlled by a pimp. That means that <clears throat> the vast majority of the youth that were found in New York City in this type of exploitation were going at it alone. We're not going through a middleman or a gang or a pimp. They were simply trading sex in many times to meet their basic needs, survival sex. So just to put food on the table, to put a roof over their head, they ended up going into the market freelance. Um, and that does not involve gangs. Um, wait, how the, how, wait. So you're telling me out of the 4,000 we're talking about, right? Only 10% of them have pimps, which means that the rest of them are just going out there doing this because they see this as the only option? Look, this is an underground population. It's difficult to study. Um, these are the numbers that came out of a John Jay College study in 2008. Wow. There's a very lively debate, debate right now going on between academics about the exact scope and character of the problem. Yeah. But just the fact that a reputable college funded by the Department of Justice would come up with a number like that, that's a big red flag for us to take a step back and rethink the caricature of the you know, typical, quote-unquote, typical... Um, youth in commercial sexual exploitation. I think we got fixated on this image of a violent pimp controlling youth, keeping them abducted, from, you know, keeping them away from their families. But in many times, no violence is required. No chains are required. If anything, the chains might be psychological. There might be issues related to substance abuse. Um, there might be economic issues. But more likely than brutal violence, we're really looking at youth that have a brutal lack of options. It's, it's a cocktail wow. of messed up situations. Well, 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 speaking of these youth who seems like they're, you know, choosing this lifestyle because of a lack of options, uh, how do they even know about it? Like, I mean, I know I have grew up kind of sheltered, but I, at that age, I had no idea about this underground network of, you know, of, 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 of sex work going on. So how do they even know? Like, how are they exposed to this? Yeah, the most heartbreaking thing to read about the 2008 study is to, to look at the vignettes and the different interviews that they did, spend hours and um, a long time speaking with each individual youth that they identified to really get their story. They found that the average age of entry in New York City was 15, and a lot of the stories sounded the same around the time that the youth began to get involved in, in the sex trade, that they had a friend who knew that they could make money doing it, that they knew that they needed shelter, they needed food, and that, you know, they liked to see that their networks and their friends were able to bring money in that way. Sometimes they're trained in, into how to sell themselves by an older person who's been in the trade for much longer. Um, but whatever it might be, you know, the situation is the same, that they end up in a very precarious and, and potentially violent situation for, for someone that young. Guys, if you're just tuning in, we have Gonzalo Martinez de Vida on the line with us. He is a human trafficking specialist with the Worker Justice Center of New York. And we are talking about this silent crisis of child sex trafficking victims. And, you know, some of the, the facts and data that you just gave us is astounding. Uh, um, 
Gonzalo, I mean, it's hard, you know, it's, I'm thinking about it. I'm just like, this is really, really detrimental. And I had no idea that so many uh, children are choosing this lifestyle because they just, you know, either they come from a background of domestic abuse or, you know, some type of abuse and some type of trauma, and they just see that no other option. And I guess they're seeking independence and freedom, and they're going down this route. One of the things that I wanted to differentiate was what is trafficking and prostitution because a lot of times when we think of you you know even me like sometimes i'm like okay should i call this person a victim a sex worker or a prostitute yeah and and what is in what is it about mislabeling these victims how can that also be detrimental yeah there's a lot of terminology out there to talk about this we hear people talk about sex workers we hear about prostitution we even hear people talk about teen prostitutes or child prostitutes though there was even such a thing and of course the, you know, we hear people use the terminology of trafficking victim. Not all sex work is human trafficking, especially in, in the world of, um, obviously in the world of adults, it gets much more complicated. But as, as long as we're only talking about youth, there can be no such thing as a teen prostitute or a child prostitute. There's only victims of crime. As mm. far as the criminal justice system is concerned, as far as service providers are concerned, these are kids in need of services and rehabilitation. Um, but how we get there is a different question. Right. No, that makes sense. I actually have a follow-up question that obviously just before I ask the question, though, the comment that I have is about what our guest just said um, about how these are, you know, it's harder when you get into the adult world the, that where the line is between people making consensual choices. But with children, there is no line at all because of the fact that children cannot consent to these types of sexual relations just as a legal matter. Um, but my question is more about how the how law enforcement treats these children. Do we see a situation where, it, you know, in certain places, these children are being treated as victims or as in other places they're being treated as criminals? Or do we see a, a situation where, at least with respect to youth, uh, the police or law enforcement treats all of these children as victims rather than criminalizing them, where we don't see that in the adult world, where, generally speaking, people who engage in sex work are treated as criminals, even if they are victims? You know, in the state of New York, uh, we have interdisciplinary task forces to respond to cases like this. I can tell you that, you know, working with my partners in law enforcement, I've seen a lot of evolution from uh, a less effective approach to a more victim-centered approach. Um, but we're still learning as a system, as institutions. I think there's still a lot to reform. Um, and it, it is an issue when we try to police a problem away that really goes back to root causes that have to do with education and access to economic opportunity and things of that nature. Um, you know, one of the troubling things about the history of Operation Cross Country, now remember, this is number nine, so we've, we've had plenty of years to learn what works and what does not work. And we know in past years, and I, I haven't had the information about this year yet, but we know in past years that after they pick up the youth, that's where the story really begins. So where are they going to be placed? What, what other world are we taking them to where they're not in these networks that they're being exploited, right? Ideally, they're immediately matched with victim services specialists that's able to give them all kinds of mental health therapy, rehabilitation, housing options. But in the world we live in of budgets and limited constraints and things like that, in some cases the youth have ended up jailed. They were, they were put in detention as a way to keep them from going back to their pimp. And we know that that's never an effective long-term strategy. Um, 
So, you know, the question of how youth are interacting with law enforcement really has to come into this conversation. The, the Department of Justice itself funded a study that looked at the way that LGBTQ youth are being treated in this system. And they've largely shared very negative experiences of really not being taken into spaces where they're being affirmed or really validated or helped to rehabilitate. On the contrary, some of the worst experiences that the LGBTQ uh, youth who are found in commercial sex have can happen in the hands of social services and law enforcement. Wow. That is so troubling, the fact that these rescue workers, once they find these victims, especially if they happen to be LGBTQ, um, then it's even hard. Like, it, they have to go through that same suffering, that same psychological trauma in the hands of these social workers. That is horrifying. Um, but we do have to take a quick break. Don't go anywhere, guys. We're talking about, again, child sex trafficking here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we have a lot more to say right after this break. Sing all over Selena segments. Oh, God. Because the weekend is about to end. Oh, oh right. Thank you, but no thank you. Hey, guys, we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on w- 90.3 FM. The Voice of Harlem. <laughs> um, we're having a very, very important discussion about the silent crisis, child sex trafficking. And we have a very important guest on the line with us. His name is Gonzalo Martinez de Vida, and he is a human trafficking specialist with the Worker Justice Center of New York. Ooh, got it. Finally. <laughs> you always so, mess up the first two times. I, I know. First two, three, four, five times, whatever. <laughs> but um, so before we left off, Gonzalo, you said something that was really important. You were saying that a lot of times these victims, these child victims, can't even find the right care after they're rescued, whether that be um, from law enforcement agents or social service workers. It's like they're. They, I guess these people don't have the, the correct training to deal with their trauma. And they also, you know, they, they're still suffering even after being quote unquote rescued. So that kind of leads me to my next question was, and this is um, from my understanding, I was reading that some of the children who were rescued during this sting operation and in, pa- in past times after being rescued and receiving counseling service, they just go, they choose to go right back into the, into the streets and living that lifestyle. They return to their pimps or they return to the lifestyle. Um, how do you explain that? And can this be f- prevented from happening with, I guess, you know, proper training from law enforcement to law enforcement agents and social service workers? Yeah, absolutely. When when we see the youth go back to the same situation that we tried to quote unquote rescue them from, it's telling us it's a red flag that we have the wrong approach. This is a problem that needs an army of mental health therapists. It needs thousands of dedicated beds and shelters, long term emergency shelter, yeah, but also long term affordable housing. This is a crisis that needs better education systems so that youth can actually come up in a way that gives them um, opportunities to go into different sectors of the economy where they're not being exploited. And it's a much deeper and longer discussion than just to say, we're going to go and knock down a hotel door and take somebody away in handcuffs. You you can do that, and the criminal justice system can do that, but it's just going to put them right back into their communities. 
Right. Um, no. But, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And actually, to add to that, not only right back into their communities, once you start criminalizing these youth and they end up with criminal records, um, misdemeanors, felonies, etc., that just makes life you know, ultimately so much harder for them in the future to get education, to get employment, you know, especially uh, most crimes that youth are convicted of, if any, uh, when they're under 18, um, you know, sometimes they get what's called YO in New York or, or JO, youth real offender or, or juvenile offender status. Uh, but in other cases, they don't. And that could create other problems for them down the line, even once they become adults uh, in trying to obtain student loans, employment, et cetera. There's a lot of collateral consequences to those things. Um, if anybody has a question or a comment, they should give us a call at 212-650-6903. We're going to go back to our guest for further comment. Yeah, part of the good news in the state of New York is that we have some advocates within the judicial system and the legal system that are making those changes. So, for example, we have uh, for adults diversion courts that allow women who are picked up on prostitution charges to really be considered victims of human trafficking and have access to services. For the youth, we have the safe harbor law that really recasts their entire experience within a services framework and away from a criminalized framework. But these are small changes that are only being implemented now. Um, so overall, you know, when you see a SWAT team rush into a hotel room and you know, really, in some cases, really traumatize the youth that, that is, is in a commercial sex, sex exploitation setting, um, you know, you really wonder what happens to them after, how, how they're going to recover from that situation, and what kind of services are going to be made available. Absolutely, absolutely. So actually, we're getting a comment from Politically Preposterous from Audra Weber. She says, thank you for making this a topic of discussion. There were a few busts down in Columbia while we were there. Many Americans were involved. It was heartbreaking. And that's a good segue for me to actually go back and ask our guests to clarify something for us, um, if it wasn't clear to our listeners, which is... Um, when people hear sex trafficking or just trafficking in general, they think of international sex trafficking rings. They think of people being exploited, taken from their homes in third world countries, maybe through abductions or through coercions, um, and then being trafficked, moved by land or by sea uh, into the United States um, and they're you know they come from other countries outside of the US part of what we're talking about today um, is domestic sex trafficking where we have American children um, who are in poverty in most cases who are entering into or being trafficked domestically and so I was hoping that our guests could clarify this for our listeners the differences um, between international sex trafficking that people generally think about and what we're talking about today, this domestic sex trafficking, and also uh, the similarities and where those two things seem to overlap. Yeah, and it, it is a, a tricky uh, term to get our head around because the word trafficking is in there. We think of other types of criminal enterprise like drug trafficking or gun trafficking where it necessarily has to involve movement. So when we think of human trafficking, a lot of people immediately think of persons being brought across borders or being moved from state to state. And in some cases, that is what happens, and people are recruited abroad and exploited in the U.S. or vice versa. But many of the cases that are identified in New York City are actually of domestic-born. You know, somebody can be born in Harlem, raised in Harlem, trafficked in Harlem, never have to leave their neighborhood. Human trafficking is a crime against a person. When we think about people being crossed across international borders against the law, that's called smuggling. That's a crime against immigration law. But human trafficking ultimately talks about when somebody is being forced, defrauded, or coerced 
into doing something that they did not choose to do. Right, right, right. Um, unfortunately, um, Gonzalo, we're going to have to start bringing this segment uh, to a close. But before we do, um, I wanted to talk about, um, number one, online, the Internet, and how this is also very detrimental um, for these victims, but it's also helping pimps, right? So, you know, now that you have the Internet, they're selling these children online. Um, and you would think that with the Internet, it would make it easier for FBI agents to track these pimps down. Do you, what, what role would you say the Internet is really playing when it comes to child sex trafficking? Well, the, the Internet is just going to be a marketplace like any other that there was before when most of this was street-based prostitution. It's the means to an end. So absolutely, you know, we can look at the websites that are facilitating this activity. But at the end of the day, it's a very difficult place to really address the issue because even if we take one down, three more websites are going to come and take its place a week later. If we take down the very public, well-known websites, the activity is just going to be driven deeper underground, and it's going to be more difficult to identify the cases as they come up. So law enforcement and the National Center for Missing Exploited Children have a lot of um, manpower dedicated to screening the websites and really tracking uh, missing youth and trying to um, identify these cases before they come up. But, um, you know, ultimately, the Internet's not going anywhere. I've heard people talk about, you know, getting the youth off the Internet or getting them off their phones or things like that. And that's, again, not addressing the root causes of why the youth might choose to be in commercial sex in the first place. Absolutely. I mean, to me, the root cause is uh, poverty. It starts, I mean, and it's the same thing we see with people joining gangs or selling drugs, things that are going on with youth. I mean, the root cause of that is poverty. And so we need to address the issue of poverty. Um, but I actually wanted to ask you a follow-up question about the internet, which is, on one hand, the internet can make it very difficult to, you know, try and track who's being trafficked. And as you said, we can shut down. It's like the Hydra. We can cut the head off of one website and then four others spring back up in its place. On the flip side, is there ways that the Internet can be helpful in identifying trafficking victims and also in uh, creating maybe in certain ways a safe space for victims or for trafficking victims to talk to each other about their own experiences as a way to, uh, you know, heal from some of those things uh, once they, uh, you know, maybe leave the commercial sex trade? Um, or do we only see the Internet as a negative place when it comes to this topic? There's definitely being progress being made online. You know, there are um, numbers that are posted to the most popular websites where these types of ads are posted um, that have information about national hotlines that youth or adults who find themselves trafficked can call um, and seek help and get specialized services or get any type of advice that they might need. Um, and another way that the Internet can really help address the issue is that we're living in an age of transparency, an age where any one story, uh, you know, after it comes up can really be shared if we find it compelling. And that's really where the, the movement against human trafficking has really taken off is with, with youth and um, adults who find their own communities being affected by human trafficking, beginning to have a real conversation about it online and sharing information and really raising awareness so that we can recognize the red flags when someone within our network is beginning to be recruited or falling into that type of um, activity. 
Um, Gonzalo, I had a question, and it's based off of what Alyssa said, and it was something important. She said that, you know, poverty, you know, could be and is more than likely one of the leading causes to why these children feel like they don't have any other alternatives. It's a lack of resources and a lack of places to, you know, to really go into turn. But, you know, can you clarify how much of a role does poverty play? I mean, are there upper middle class and middle class children who are going down this lifestyle or being kidnapped and captured? Absolutely. So we always say in the trainings, human trafficking can affect anybody. So that means that if there's an upper-middle-class family has a teenager in, the, in their bedroom on the Internet and they're seeking the same thing that every teenager wants, love, attention, and they get picked up by somebody who is a predator online who is looking to entice somebody maybe into revealing something on video, then using those pictures to blackmail them to get them to do more. You know, we do see cases like that. We forget, you know, we, we fixate on street-based prostitution, but... One form of the commercial sexual exploitation of children is, is online. It, it can all happen online. It's child pornography. It's cyber enticement. Um, so that's something that can happen and has happened. We, we know that criminal organizations uh, recruit at malls and suburban areas and try to get girls into that criminal enterprise in that way. Um, but I think it's important to take a step back after all that and knowing that these cases can come up and really look at trends. And the overall trend is still going to be that the majority of children in New York City who are falling into this type of activity are doing it because of a lack of options and do disproportionately come from economically disadvantaged sectors of society and they do disproportionately come from the LGBTQ community, um, from the immigrant community from the undocumented immigrant community. So these are the same vulnerable populations that we worry about for so many other issues. This is just another way that they're being exploited. Wow. Gonzalo, actually follow up about that. So the first thing you said about how it can affect every anybody, despite the second part of your comment that disproportionately we see it coming from uh, low-income neighborhoods. Um, when we talk about people who are not from low-income neighborhoods, so that small group um, of or I don't want to say small, but the smaller group um, of people who are exploited, who don't come necessarily from low-income communities, do we see that it's disproportionately um, LGBT youth uh, in those situations, or do we see it's more females? I mean, what are the demographics of the people who are not coming from low-income communities? The majority of the cases that are identified are going to be female youth, uh, but we do know that LGBTQ uh, community members are disproportionately represented in the population of youth that are exploited in that way. And it's because of the vulnerabilities that traffickers are looking for, where youth are not having their basic needs met, or youth are not being accepted by their communities. A pimp or criminal organization can offer a second family. They can offer love and support and attention. And um, when they do that, they end up... um, trapping exactly, you know, that, the population that, um, that needed those things in the first place. So, sure, you know, it can be girls. You know, uh, we talk about a silent population, but the 2008 study that we talked about, the real uh, invisible population is the boys, that we talk about just a few, a handful of boys being picked up in Operation Cross Country, but the 2008 study found that 45% of the youth who were found in New York City in commercial sex in that year were boys. 
And that's, that's a population that we're not really talking about. That's a population that is very stigmatized when they are in that setting that, you know, their communities and their systems are really not able to see what's happening to them or really uh, validate what happened to them. Right. Um, so, Gonzalo, uh, human trafficking, as you know, it's the second most lucrative crime in the world behind narcotic trafficking. How do we stop this million or even billion dollar underground industry? I know that you talked about the vulnerable populations who happen to be LGBT, undocumented immigrants, uh, children from low income neighborhoods. What would you say is the resolution? Do we need more funding for, you know, organizations and people like you who are on the ground trying to train law enforcement agents how to, to deal with this issue and excuse me and how to uh, protect our children? I think it's a two-part answer. You know, first of all, absolutely, more funding, uh, but not just more funding, smarter funding, right? So there are millions and tens of millions of dollars being dedicated to anti-trafficking efforts nationwide every single year. The vast majority of that can end up in law enforcement interventions and task forces and things that really try to go in and, and, and rescue people physically. And really what we need is more of an approach that takes into account rehabilitation, housing options, education. And that goes to the second part of my answer, which is a much longer path that we need to walk. But I believe that the anti-trafficking movement has to get in line behind the Black Lives Matter movement, has to get in line behind the immigration reform movement, and really look at all the different sectors of society that we have put in really vulnerable situations and begin to repair that. That's the only way that we're going to do away with the root causes of what's driving youth into commercial sex. Right. Gonzalo, again, thank you so much for calling us, calling in today and talking about this very crucial issue. Please let our listeners know how they can get in touch with you as well as your organization. So we are the Worker Justice Center of New York on Facebook, or you could look up uh, Freedom Network USA on, uh, on Facebook and online. Thank you again, Gonzalo. And I just want to leave everyone with this. As disheartening as this crisis is, I think that the fix would be so simple. Love and attention. These are the children that we as adults are bringing into the world, right? And not every adult can care for their child, um, and I understand that. But I think that when it comes to us as a community and us as people, we have to stop forgetting about people in the shadows, whether they're undocumented, whether they're LGBT. We have to remember that when we treat people a certain way, when we talk about this, when we hear rhetoric from the GOP that just sounds, that, that bashes these vulnerable people and these vulnerable kids, this is where they're turning they're turning online they're turning to pimps they're turning to sex work um and 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 they become these victims and these are our victims and i think that if we personalize and we sort of look at this issue and see ourselves in it and get more invested as we are with black lives matter as we are with marriage equality then we can do more to stop this and i think that again when you hear the gop constantly talking about cut funding and cut this and cut that that is not the answer we need to make sure our legislators know how important it is for us to protect our children we need to call them we need to tweet them and we need to make sure that this issue is on the forefront of the 2016 presidential election i think that if we did that of course you would hear hillary clinton bernie sanders and everyone else finally addressing the anti-trafficking movement but you don't hear that because we're not talking about it
And that's just the bottom line. Um, on that note, we're going to go to a break. But when we come back, we will spark things up on a lighter note, talking about the news stories in the News Roundup. You were the one that was trying to keep me 